This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Many companies have adopted wellness programs in recent years with the hope that their employees will improve their health and the company can also see reduced health care costs. But it appears that the evidence to say that these programs make a difference might be a little thin, at least for some people. Yvonne Barinke, Associate Professor of Management at the Warren School, has looked into this and he joins us with more. Yvonne, great to talk to you again. Hi, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Great to have you back with us. And so these are programs that have been going on now, I think, for the better part of the last couple of decades. Uh, But I guess the question I'll start out with is how prevalent are they within companies in general right now? This is an excellent question. So just to to be clear, so what do we mean by wellness programs? So these are programs that are offered by companies where they either offer free um, health services like, you know, yoga seminars or uh, subsidized uh, gym memberships. But uh, what also happens is that these programs now offer additional um, rewards or incentives for people to do healthful things. So they might offer uh, discounts and insurance plans, or they might offer gift vouchers or indeed cash payouts. And what they're rewarding is um, principally things like going for routine checkups, getting biometric measures, and then also sometimes going further by paying people to go to the gym um, and uh, do healthful uh, purchases uh, and this and that. This has been very, very popular. Uh, We are now estimating that this is a $50 billion a year industry. This is just like in terms of consulting. In addition to that is what companies would pay for these programs. And um, the reason why they have been growing so much perhaps is is multifaceted. Um, How That they are growing is quite evident. Kaiser has been surveying companies in terms of whether they are offering these uh, programs and whether they want to expand them further. Two-thirds of companies are offering them and say that they want to expand these programs. And companies look for uh, savings here. Uh, A company typically pays $16,000 per employee on health insurance in addition to roughly on average $6,000 that employees pay for their health care. And we know from research that uh, preventative measures, um, preventing like um, cardiovascular disease disease or or, or other chronic diseases is the best way to save costs. And companies were thinking that with these programs, maybe some of these gains can be fulfilled. And in service, they say that, you know, their principal motivation of these programs is to keep um, their employees healthy. I think the other big development is over the last decades, um, employees were looking for more from their employers. They, they they want a job that is not just paying the bills, but they look for meaning. And given that they're spending so much time at work, um, indeed they spend most of their waking hours at work, um, they perhaps want uh, the uh, a structure in the workplace that helps them to uh, maintain other goals in life. And health and staying healthy is one of those things that many uh, employees find difficult to do. But you mentioned in in the piece that you did about how it, it doesn't seem like that the benefits or how, how the benefits play out yeah. seem to be working for all employees, that certain employees yes. more so than others seem to gain yes. the benefits of this. Yes, this is, this is really interesting um, because, you know, what so we see that 
you know, um, companies are offering them and are hoping to sell, save money. But the other big development of the last decades was, uh, was the success um, of uh, behavioral economics and psychology that, ha- that gave us a lot of insights on, on how people behave and how they make decisions. And health is one of those interesting topics where um, if you do something healthy today, uh, to uh, keep your heart health um, on track to avoid heart attacks down the road. You don't really notice anything today. I mean, if your cholesterol level were to drop uh, significantly, you wouldn't notice this. But it has a big impact um, on your future risk of a heart disease. But this is really abstract and diffuse and off in the future. So what behavioral economists has told us that in these situations where benefits are far away and abstract, people will... Um, maintain a path uh, towards um, good behavior by offering them more immediate rewards. So these um, incentives and rewards really were there to help people overcome these intertemporal decision problems and self-control issues. So it's a wonderful idea. And many, a lot of research has shown this to work for a number of situations in the laboratory and in some cases. Right. But when they are built into these programs, um, several clinical trials where people were randomized into whether they have wellness programs or not and whether they're generous or not, right. uh, when they were in these trials and compared the treatment to the control group, there was no significant difference in the health outcomes and in the cost savings or in absenteeism. So although the idea is, is really sound and sounds like it should work, you know, I mean, if we give you like a little nudge, uh, you know, maybe then you take care of your health, you know, it should work, but it, it just does not. The data does not support right. this. I mean, yep. here's, here's like a clear case where actually these programs are benefiting those who don't need them. Because what happens is that you work at a company and they offer you like a, a voucher to go to the doctor and to go to the gym. But perhaps you're doing this, these things already because, you know, you look after yourself. So you love this program because now you're being paid for what you are doing anyway. And this is what research has actually shown. You know, the, the majority of the people who participate in these programs are those who are healthy already. And they are basically just... Um, you know, getting these gift vouchers, but they don't change the behavior. They don't do more of it. They are just registering it in, in the company uh, program to get those benefits. On the other hand, the people who are not engaged with their health, uh, when we talk to them as part of our research, where we also encourage people to get healthier, um, they see these incentives and they want to act on it, but their life is just so complicated. Um, you know, when you are poor in America, when you have comorbidities, this is such a big cognitive burden that the idea of uh, adding to that more routines is just really, really difficult. And notice, you know, these people, most people, they want to be healthy and stay healthy. And, you know, there are big rewards for being healthy. I mean, you you Mm -hmm. don't die (laughs) and you stay healthy. That's a massive incentive. So the idea that like these small vouchers would um, actually alter the, the calculation for these people is just missing the point completely. But the essential issue here is that these programs are essentially a redistribution of the unhealthy to the healthy, uh, but their behavior isn't, isn't changed for either of these two groups. So are there, are, are there things then for the people that maybe are not the healthiest that mm-hmm. maybe that program, that wellness program is not the best option? Are there other options that maybe companies yeah. should be considering to, to maybe yeah. try and you know lead those employees at least to start get them down the path. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's no such thing as a wellness program. You know, this is something that companies do. But I think one thing is clear that most of these programs were kind of top-down or led by uh, thriving consulting businesses. As I say, it's a $50 million business out there. What we need to do is listen to our employees. We have to talk to them, uh, do uh, surveys, do interviews with them to understand what are their barriers, what is preventing them to start engaging. And, and it may look trivial for most of us, but you know, for people who have like a complicated life, just the thought of finding parking near the pharmacy to pick up the drugs or knowing uh, what to wear and how to sign up for classes at the gym um, yeah. These are things that, you know, they really would benefit to have uh, support with. So reaching out to them, offering them, you know, um, very personable service where they we can answer their questions because many of them might not have peers or friends who, who have done this or they have just like no, no environment where they can do this. But most of mm -hmm. all, they, they are just really burdened by, by their life um, and, and their comorbidities that they just struggle to build this into their routines. The first thing we, as I said, we need to do is to listen to to these employees and understand their barriers to help them get engaged with their with their health. And right. empirically, what the what we see is the most effective thing that they should perhaps do is just to get access to a primary care doctor and go to routine appointments. That sounds like a simple thing to do, but many of them don't have that, and that is, I think, the next starting point. Yvonne, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for your insight. All the best. All the best to you as well. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yvonne Byron Kay, Associate Professor of Management at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.